Welcome back to The Lion and the Ox, two modes of self-development and leadership. We typically think of resiliency as referring to someone who bounces back from incredible failure to incredible success. And we think of personal excellence as a person who's got it within them to stay the course. The type A personality always goes after what they want and they get it. They know where they're going and they know how to get there. The resilient person stumbles, falls along the way, and their strength is that they manage to get back up. But the truth is that the two qualities are intertwined, and rare do you find a person who can persevere and succeed on the basis of their personal excellence alone. In Jewish history and in Jewish thought, we have two figures who represent these two modes of leadership, which is the subject of this podcast. And as we enter into the sixth episode, we transition from the life of Yosef, who represents excellence, strength of character, focus, and strong iron will. That's Yosef. We now transition to King David. But before we transition to King David, we're going to talk about his ancestor Yehuda, his ancestor Judah. And Judah's life really holds the seed and the key to understanding who King David was and why it is that in Torah thought, King David is a stepping stone towards the Messiah, towards the rectification of the world. Let's take a step back and see a little bit about Yehuda, Judah's life, and how he interacts with Yosef, and we'll get a better understanding of how personal excellence and resiliency are so deeply intertwined in these two figures in the arc of world history according to Torah and extremely applicable in our own lives. Let us begin. Yehuda Judah is born to his mother Leah and he's called Yehuda, which means gratitude. The root of the word Yehuda is all about gratitude. Leah is so grateful to God for this child of hers, Yehuda Judah. In addition, if we look at the Hebrew letters of the name Yehuda, it really is the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God, with the addition of the letter Dalid, which represents humility. Dalos, Dalid, is impoverished. I have nothing of my own, says Yehuda. I'm full of gratitude towards you, God. Thanks and gratitude are one and the same. Also, along with that goes the ability to admit guilt, to admit wrongdoing, to be authentic. And we'll get to that in a little bit. We'll see how Yehuda represents not only thankfulness and gratitude, but also the ability to open his heart wide and be authentic and face reality with all the courage that it takes to really look reality in the face. Yehuda is given the gift of kingship which ultimately translates into King David being the first king from the tribe of Judah to develop a dynasty that would last forever and ultimately lead us toward world rectification with God willing the coming of the Messiah, the son of David. That, that's what Yehuda turns out to be, but that's not what Yehuda is from day one. Yehuda is a leader. He's a natural leader of the brothers of the 12 tribes. He's a natural leader. However, he at one point is demoted from his rank. And that has to do with Yosef. Yosef, as we've discussed, came forward 
and announced that he was going to be king. And the brothers were none too pleased. And they wanted to kill him. They felt that Yosef's motive, Yosef's end goal, was to kill them. And as we know, the rule is when someone's out to kill you, the halacha, the Jewish law tells us, one has a right in self-defense to kill the attacker and the pursuer first. The brothers, for whatever reason, were convinced that Yosef was out to kill them. And so they got together and they were going to kill him. And then Reuven, Reuben said, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into a pit where he'll die, but at least we won't kill him with our bare hands. At least we will, it will be somewhat circum, you know, around just, uh, just a death that we will have caused in a broader sense, but not one that we will have committed with our two hands. We won't at least have been that cruel. A bit of a mitigating approach. He can't convince the brothers to leave him alone, but maybe we can save a little bit of the cruelty. Now, deep down, Ruvain, Ruvain was hoping that he'd be able to come back and save Yosef from that pit. And so in, the, in his heart of hearts, he was hoping to save Yosef's life. When Ruvain left, Yehuda came forward and said, why should we kill him? Why should we put him in the pit with snakes and scorpions where he'll die at least of starvation and thirst? Let's sell him into slavery. And so the brothers take him out, they take Yosef out of the pit, and they sell him into slavery. Now, finally, they go back to their father, Yaakov, and they make up some story about Yosef being lost, and maybe he was, uh, he was pounced upon by, by some sort of beast and killed, we don't know. And they give this story to Yaakov, and Yaakov is heartbroken, and he falls into a depression that he doesn't get out of for all the years that Yosef is missing. And seeing this, seeing the depth of Yaakov's pain, causes the brothers to reconsider. And they think to themselves, if only we could have held back and not sold Yosef into slavery, if only Yosef could be here today and our father Yaakov could be himself. And they turned on Yehuda and they said, Yehuda, you told us to not kill Yosef, to pull him out of the pit and sell him into slavery instead of killing him. And we listened to you. Had you told us, had you focused us on our father's pain, we would have listened to you and we wouldn't have sold him into slavery and Yosef would be here today. And the brothers realizing and coming to terms with their mistake, turned to their leader Yehuda and said, you are somewhat at fault because you are our leader and they demoted him. And Yehuda went off. Yehuda left his position of leadership and went off on his own. And without getting into too much detail, he goes off on his own, he gets married, he has children, he has these sons, and ultimately they have this relationship with Tamar. The first son marries Tamar, Yehuda's daughter-in-law, and that first son is not uh, is not willing to do his his duty in fathering children. He wants a Tamar, a wife who will not become pregnant, and as such, his relations with Tamar are not considered moral, and he dies. And his brother has the same issue without getting into too much detail. His brother has the same issue. He marries Tamar in leveret marriage, what we call Yibam, and he commits the same sin. He's not willing to have children with her. And again, God deems him on his level uh, so culpable that he also dies. Ultimately, Yehuda meets Tamar on the, on the path. Tamar dresses herself up as a harlot. She knows that she is going to bring 
kingship into the world. She's going to bring Mashiach into the world. And she needs to have children from Yehuda. And so she acts as a harlot and she entices Yehuda. The sages say that Yehuda was pushed and compelled by an angel. He wasn't acting of his own free will. And Tamar becomes pregnant from Yehuda with twins. But the word on the street is that she's a harlot and she's committed adultery because she's committed in leveret marriage, in the laws of leveret marriage that were applicable in those days, that she was committed to marry into the family of Yehuda after the death of her first two husbands. And she went off and committed harlotry. So she was going to be put to death for whatever reason, without getting into all the halakhic implications of how they treated um, harlots in those days and why she was considered a harlot in the first place, an adulteress rather. And so they were going to put her to death for adultery. And Yehuda came forward and said, many, she is right, I am wrong. Tamar sent a message to Yehuda saying, you, not you, but the one who I had relations with, a father of these children, gave me these items, the signet ring and the staff. And whoever they belong to is the father of these children. And Yehuda admitted publicly. Imagine, he's the great sage, he's on the court here, and he admitted publicly, I am the father of these children. How embarrassing. How utterly humiliating. And yet Yehuda has the courage to face reality. Yehuda, the one who can give thanks, who can be grateful, who can stare the favor in the face and say, you gifted me something. I owe it 100% to you. I have no sense of entitlement. That same person can also look reality in the face and say, I am fully guilty. Just like I can be fully grateful, I can face my shortcomings and say I'm fully responsible. That's the very same character trait. And that's what Yehuda displays. When Yehuda becomes Yehuda, when Yehuda displays the courage to be authentic, to be genuine in the face of such humiliation, what happens next is that the process of Yosef's discovery, the process where Yosef the Tzaddik, the personal excellence paradigm, when Yosef is discovered, that is a result of Yehuda reaching his point of admission. And so while this is playing out, in a very profound way between these two brothers who are progenitors of the Mashiach, in a, in a sense, it's very practical and very real for us in our lives today. Because we will, most of us at least, will not be able to succeed on the merit of pure excellence. We will fall. And we have to remember that resilience is necessary. The ability to be authentic, the ability to look our failures in the face, not to run away from them, not to smother our failures, our shortcomings, our guilt with addictions, with distractions, but to look them in the face and to be honest and embrace our faults and embrace our failings and say, this is where I'm going to go from here. I'm going to climb back up. The ability to do that is essential in bringing forth our personal excellence. In a sense, we have within us a Yosef and a Yehuda. And we will only merit to bring forth our Yosef if we can be Yehuda, if we can be authentic, if we can be resilient, if we can look reality in the face and bounce back from failure with that power, that courage called brutal self 
honesty. We can only merit to be Yosef-like if we are first and foremost Yehuda-like. The two go hand in hand, the two come together. Another incredible thing that comes out from the character of Yehuda in this interplay, while he is discovering Yosef, while the brothers are heading down to Egypt and not knowing that the cruel ruler that they face is in fact Yosef, until finally that moment when they ultimately discover Yosef. A key component of that drama is Binyamin, Yosef's younger brother. Yaakov's beloved son, his remaining child of his beloved wife, Rachel Rachel. Yaakov is unwilling to part from Binyamin, and yet the cruel Egyptian ruler, who we don't yet know to be Yosef, the cruel Egyptian ruler is forcing Yaakov's hand and saying, if you don't send Binyamin down to Egypt, there will be no food provided to your family. And Yaakov is in a bind. And Ruvain tries to convince Yaakov to part with Binyamin to no avail. Finally, Yehuda, who has the wisdom to wait until the food has run dry, approaches Yaakov and says, I take full responsibility. And then Yaakov says, okay. What changed? Ruvain was willing to put down collateral. Ruvain said, I will lose my share in the world to come. My children will die if I don't bring Binyamin back. Yehuda gave no such guarantees. All he said was, I take full responsibility. And to that, Yaakov responded. Why? Because Yehuda was a person who looked reality in the face. And if he was taking responsibility for something, you can be sure that he was giving it his all. He was going to be fully present to that responsibility. He wouldn't be distracted the tiniest bit. And that was what Yaakov trusted because Yehuda had leadership in him. And Yehuda, by admitting and being authentic, displayed the courage to always face reality 100%, to give every single situation that faced him his all. And if the situation that faced him required humility and the ability to withstand incredible humiliation, Yehuda would go for it with all of his heart and soul. And if the situation called for standing up for his younger brother Binyamin in the face of this cruel Egyptian ruler, again, Yaakov knew Yehuda would give it his all. And so Yehuda, who had no skin in any game, he always was there as a pure vessel for the greater good. Yehuda is the one that Yaakov can trust. And Yehuda is the one who can wait for the right moment to convince Yaakov because all he sees is the need before him and he has the clarity of vision to be able to wait for the right moment to make his move because there's no ulterior motive. There's no anxiety involved. He's fully focused on the task at hand, fully seeing the picture before him with no cloudy vision that our ego introduces often into the picture because Yehuda is pure. Yehuda is egoless. Yehuda has managed to vanquish his ego. Yehuda is a fully focused, authentic person. It's Yehuda who can bring forth Yosef, who can, who can lead us to the discovery of Yosef. And so as we get into King David's life in the coming episodes, we'll get deeper and deeper into what it means to be authentic, what it means to be resilient, what it means to bounce back from failure with the power of authentic courage, with the courage to be authentic. We'll get into that through the life of King David, who personified that throughout his tumultuous 
and drama-filled existence. And we'll get into that. But first, we have to recognize that the source, the root of King David lies in Yehuda. Now, Yehuda himself couldn't be King David. Yehuda himself could not be the first king of Israel to found a dynasty that would lead to Mashiach. The reason? Because he failed to stand up at that pivotal moment in Jewish history when the unity of Yaakov's family was at stake when they were about to kill Yosef, Yehuda was willing to stand up, but only partially. That created a rift in the Jewish nation, and that's, that rift spills over into the entire world. That rift is something that will only be healed with the coming of Mashiach. But for the time being, there's a flaw, a fatal flaw, so to speak, in Yehuda's leadership, in his ability to be authentic and to look the situation in the eye and face it with courage, at that moment he failed. And so he bounces back. He becomes the king again. He's given the blessing by his father Yaakov. You will be king. Your tribe will develop kingship in Israel. But there's something missing in Yehuda, And so Yehuda cannot be the one to found the dynasty that King David will one day found. However, the root of humility, the root of authenticity, the root of brutal self-honesty, that lies in Yehuda, lies in his name, which is God's name, plus the sense that I'm impoverished. The sense that I have nothing other than that which I receive from God. I am not a player. I'm here to serve. That sense, that courage, that is what Yehuda is all about. And that is the root, ultimately, of King David. Thank you for listening.